hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. One of the best parts about having a podcast is that it lets us meet so many other people we'd probably otherwise not meet. People reach out to be on our show. They invite us onto their shows. Others introduce us to people they think would be great for queer money, such as the case with Thomas Tucker of Uncensored Visionary. Thomas started his second season of Uncensored Visionary not too long ago, and he found us by looking for other queer-themed podcasts. He invited us onto his show, and when we learned about him, we asked him to come on Queer Money. Thomas is lifting up the queer community by giving a platform to other LGBTQ people, sharing their stories, projects, and inspirations. Thomas believes that there are so many queer people doing great and amazing things, advancing our community and society in general, but unfortunately, many of those positive stories get lost in traditional and social media. Thomas is going against the grain in his own way and asking for no one's permission. (laughs) This interview psyched me up so much because Thomas's goal is so aligned with our goal. It's just that our angles are slightly different. Plus, Thomas shares how he started his podcast, how he's managing it day to day, and the impact he's hoping to make. As many of our listeners already know, we want to see more queer people blogging and podcasting, if for nothing else than to lift up our voices. Thomas provides a good example of how to start your very own podcast. So let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome, Thomas Tucker, to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about your journey in becoming a podcaster and your hopes and dreams with the uh, Uncensored Visionary podcast. But before we dive into that, can you define for me what Uncensored Visionary is, please? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just going to go off the cuff. I had like a, according to the dictionary, that means this, this, and this. But really what it is, is it's basically a person who follows their own rules and creates their own path in spite of what society tells us to, you know, have the tip life of going to college, having kids, growing old, and then those kids taking care of you. Um, It's just kind of somebody doing the unconventional and doing what's really right for them, despite us having the typical narrative out there and force on us. And that's what I read in Urban Dictionary too. So good job. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost to me, that sounds like it's maybe the definition of the new queer you know that mm. that's uh, that's uh, that's who we are is we're completely happy being different than the norm right and so exactly. that's part of the reason why i love the adoption of the word queer yeah Even so can we call it nouveau queer nouveau make it queer, queer. <laughs> 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 we're coming up with a whole bunch of new words for oh, urban yeah. dictionary here exactly. on the queer money podcast today thank you thomas <laughs> that is all she wrote <laughs> so why did you adopt this as your name and, and and why do you think it's important for our queer community You know, frankly, the reason I started this whole podcast was, well, for multiple reasons. First of all, I am tired of the narrative that people suck Um, (laughs) just because of what's on the news. I was just like, I've met so many people who've helped me grow as a person. So people don't really suck. I mean, in my eyes, but I mean, there's so many cool people doing like really amazing things. Mm -hmm. And then I actually just moved to San Francisco in late December, 2006. So we'll say December, we'll say 2007. And I heard a lot of people going like, oh, 
um, the Castro, which is the haven space for the LGBTQ community in San Francisco. And they're like, oh my God, it's not really diverse. And it's kind of a reflection of the whole LGBT community and how it's not diverse. And I was like, again, not true. We just don't hear stories from people that are not cookie cutter, you know? Right. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, I was actually talking to my boyfriend. He was talking about his podcast. And then randomly, I was just straight up like, I'm going to start a podcast. Because <laughs> 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 I'm sick of this narrative. And I honestly, I woke up the next morning and started DMing people. And that's how it started. Nice. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, I think to your point, I think there's a couple of things there. I think to your point that people suck, I think that's what gets clicks. That's what sells mm-hmm. media advertising. I think, you know, the, the human interest stories that are happy, unfortunately, doesn't get enough eyeballs. So it doesn't get advertisers. And so the media doesn't push that out. The only reason we have Trump as president is because he said so many offensive things. And even CNN, MSNBC got a lot of eyeballs because they kept showing what Trump was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to your point, I think it's great that you're trying to provide an alternative narrative which is probably a more accurate narrative than what we typically see on social media and traditional media. Yeah, yeah I, I think my biggest issue is that that's all we see. So that's all we think the world is. But the world is like huge. Right. <laughs> They're like 7 billion people, 7 billion plus people, you know, like there's so many books to read and there's so many like people to talk to and learn from. And even if it's not like the biggest seller, my goal is to kind of be just a small sliver of positivity. Yeah, in this world. And Absolutely. We need more of that. One of the things that John and I go back and forth with is the polarizing comments about certain parts of the queer alphabet <laughs> of how not only do we typically see in media, but I think in our community, we typically see the L's and the G's being the most vocal, being mm-hmm. the most out there. And typically they're the cis white versions of those L's and G's. But like you said, there's so many others out there and Mm -hmm. there's so many worthwhile stories to be told, so many worthwhile conversations to have. But when we throw around these negative comments, it becomes polarizing. And uh, I remember John and I were at a a symposium or a conference and someone made the comment uh or actually it, no it was it was the it, that individual was at the conference then later on twitter made the comment that the next group we need to take down are cis gay white men and i thought well that's interesting why are we attacking our own community mm-hmm. aren't we stronger together than we are apart and so when those of us who have the opportunity to share the voices of others in our community, that's a part of our privilege, right? That's a part of uh, what we can do. We can shine the light on others' voices. And John and I try to do that regularly with this podcast, but also with our writing in Forbes and, and on our own website. We try to draw attention to the fact that, yes, we have this opportunity, but there's a lot of other stories out there. And sometimes... The more vocal we can be, the more attention we can actually draw to some of those other stories. Exactly. And I, for me personally, I kind of get irritated when we try to separate ourselves. Um, I understand that you want a community, like if you're gay, you probably want to hang out with some gay people, right? But at the end of the day, by just saying, like when people do things like, oh, we need to take down white men, it's like, but we need them to get our rights and they need us to learn and to, I guess, be better human beings in general. I feel like what people don't realize is that if literally we all like banded together, the millions of us, yeah, if we all banded together for a common cause, you know, like such as rights, we as a community could make huge changes. Because if you think about it, 
we all want the same thing. And right. there are millions of us versus the, honestly, I don't think there are that many people, but I'm going to kind of exaggerate and say like the 10,000 people who don't care about our rights, no matter what our race is, no matter what our gender is, they just see us as other, right? Yeah. right. But if we just banded together, we would be so strong and we could like create like this huge community of like, not necessarily outrage, but of change and yeah. compassion for us and for our rights. So. 100% agree. I, I think we might feel self-righteous when we take down other groups. Uh, we might win a Twitter discussion war, whatever that might be, and we might feel validated for a second. But at the end of the day, we can't lift anybody up if we're if our strategy is simply to take someone else down. That has never worked in history, and it won't work now. That's why I think your mission is so powerful, because if more of us did that, we would actually get the equality and the progress that we, we seek more quickly than if our strategy is, is, is focused on the negative. I love that you said it's never worked in history, because I don't think people pay attention to that, which is weird. Um, <laughs> like Martin Luther King Jr., like he didn't tear down people. No, he right. didn't tear down white people. He used them. He told people stories. He told them why they should support us, and they converted over. And that's what helped us Black Americans get their rights. Same with women's rights. They didn't try to tear down men. They were like, no, we want these rights. And this is why we're human beings. We have ambitions. We have goals. So let's band together so we can actually make a better society. And I just don't, I don't know what's different about this generation. It's interesting and I do not agree with it, even though a lot of my friends are like, oh my God, you're so contrarian. I'm like, no, <laughs> at the end of the day, I want us all to win. I want us all to be successful and for us to all tell our stories because we're all important, but not to the point where like anyone else is important, more less important, but we're all important in the story of how we change society as a whole. And if you want to be a part of that, you have to be open-minded and you have to want positivity and not just a takedown, you know, on Twitter, like you said. Exactly. I, I don't remember who it was. I remember listening to a motivational speaker and I, I can't remember exactly who it was. For some reason, I want to say it was Jim Rohn, but I may, may not have been. This seems a little bit more current than his talks from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> but the speaker said that you are no greater than or less than any other person that exists. You deserve everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important because when we try to tear somebody down, oftentimes the reason we're tearing them down is because we're scared of them. And the mm -hmm. reason we're scared of them is because we don't know them. And the reason we don't know them is because we don't listen. And the reason we don't listen is because their story isn't being told to us. So the more we know their story, the more we can understand them, the more we can understand that we're more like them than we are different than them. Yes, mm -hmm. they may have some thinking that is not necessarily in line with what we believe or what's current, and they may need to be woke, <laughs> so, for lack of a better, a lack of a better term. But it isn't going to happen by us yelling at them. They're not going to wake up to our rights and our feelings and and our stories if we just continue to yell at them. It's similar to we were at. Philly Pride this weekend, and there was a religious protester there, and they're yelling and yelling and yelling and yelling, and we're just walking by and smiling and cheering and everything. We're not listening one word to them. But I do know some conservative Christians that have talked about why they feel the way they do, and it helps me understand them rather than them yelling at me. And, and, and I have to, I respect the right that they have, that they can believe what they want to believe, but again, it's different than what... <laughs> What I, well, I think it's important to remember that if it wasn't for a bunch of white male Republican attorneys, we might not actually have marriage equality today. <laughs> so there's a contradiction for you. <laughs> so 
With all that said, you know, you've had a lot of great interviews on your podcast. What have been the guests or the episodes that have stood out to you most and, and why? There are so many. Um, <laughs> I will say, so, okay, I'll go through a few. The first interview I ever did was for comedian Samson McCormick. And I was like, this is my first interview. I don't know what to expect. And like, he was talking a lot. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. How do I like kind of rein him in? But like, when I like started to listen to him and like not freak out, I was like, every word he's saying is important. Mm -hmm. And every word that he's saying is something that maybe people don't know. So he needs to go ahead and say it. So that one was a really interesting one because it was my first one. I will say that another episode I really enjoyed is Miss Pussy, mm -hmm. the trans rapper. She kind of just, honestly, I was crying during the interview. There was a part where I was just like tearing up based on what she was saying and like her life goals of being a performer and like what she ultimately wants to do. I've had so many. <laughs> um, honestly, there was a point where I was like interviewing people every day and there was an artist named Lucy, um, Lucy from Lucy and Lamar. Um, I just remember because she was so like, I want to help other artists. I was just like blown away because she's, she lives in LA and LA is highly competitive. People <laughs> backstab and cutthroat and are cutthroat left, right and center. But here she was on her Twitter, like supporting other artists. She created the Love is Gay tour. And I was just like, you are an incredible human being. And after that interview, I kind of just laid in my bed and kind of just went, wow, this is something I'm doing for fun. And I get to interview all these really cool, badass people. And I was just like, I can't. I kind of had a moment where I was just like, I need to chill for a little bit and just like be in my own feelings. But um, yeah, those are probably some of the episodes. I know there were probably a lot more that I really liked. But yeah. So it sounds like the ones that seem to have the biggest impact on you are the people who are using their voice or their platform to spread more, I guess, equality or progress or lifting other people up. Yeah, because my thing in life is you can go ahead and focus on yourself. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we all need to contribute to society. And what some people don't actually realize is that when you have a job, you're contributing to society. You're helping other people one way or another. Right. Like people look down at people who work at McDonald's, but at the same time, like, do you know how much it would be a pain in the ass if we had to cook our own McDonald's? Like that would be ridiculous. You know what I mean? So I feel like I like the idea of um, people who are going out of their way, if you will, to help other people while growing as an individual or as a talent themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important for everyone to remember that no matter what you're contributing to society, the question is, what is it that you're contributing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't understand Instagram, but hey, <laughs> do what you want to do. <laughs> so I think your mission and your message is very poignant and I think very much needed in the world, let alone the LGBTQ community. David and I have for years now been advocating for there to be more LGBTQ people who embrace the gig economy, who become bloggers and podcasters and kind of embrace that that whole kind of new platform. What made you choose to go the podcasting route as opposed to the other options that are that are available? You know what? I had been thinking about Actually, initially, this started off as like a blog idea. I was like, oh, I should definitely do a blog where I highlight LGBTQ people. But I've been listening to this guy named Gary Vee, 
And he does a podcast. He does a bunch of different things. He runs his own media company. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, why don't I just interview them? It's a lot easier. <laughs> it's a lot easier. I get their actual perspective, not my stalking them on social media and coming up with a summary perspective. I get to hear their voice. Mm-hmm. It just seems kind of easy. And it kind of, and honestly, personally, for me, I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to talk. I just like to listen. And it's kind of like a way to stretch my, I guess, fears of talking. And then also while like telling people's stories. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with you. The fact that with the podcast medium, this is part of the reason why John and I have our podcast is the ability to hear someone tell their story in their own voice, you know, oftentimes, and our podcast typically tends to focus on individuals who are succeeding in some manner, not necessarily financially, but they're having some form of success. And uh, one of the problems with that is when you tell the story of success and you don't allow the individual to tell their own story, sometimes you miss the important parts that prevent somebody from saying, oh, well, you just have that success because you're privileged. Mm. They don't actually hear what it actually took to reach that level of success. And I I like that you want to hear it from the individual as well. You want to let them tell their passion, tell their story, tell their thoughts, tell their anger if necessary, whatever the case may be. Because like you said, it it, then it, well, I guess it's right in the title. Then it becomes censored vision, right? You're censoring their vision. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I liked another episode that I liked is the Teddy Margus um, interview from last season. The reason I like that one is because he literally did comedy in L.A. and then he failed. But then he literally had a moment where he was working at a I think it was like a rental shop or like he was answering phones and he answered the phone, got off the phone and was like, this is not for me. This is not my path. I need to go back to L.A. I need to create my own vision. So it's like you kind of heard him telling his like intro about how he started and how he failed and then how he was like, no, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I need to go a different route. So I love that story. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. So I'll proceed to my next question. But before I do that, I need to caveat that I don't get the impression that Thomas is uncomfortable talking. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So technically, technically I lie to myself and say that I don't like talking and that I don't like um, socializing, which is false. I'm just... Like growing up, I was just very like antisocial, just like about school. So like when you get out of school, you're like, oh, shoot, I have to make friends and actually talk to people. (laughs) So it's not necessarily that I don't like to. It's more like I'm holding on to who I was as a kid instead of, you know, diving into adulthood with this personality that I have. Interesting. So that makes me want to ask then, what is true about Thomas Tucker that you're holding on to and what's untrue that you're holding on to from your childhood. Okay. From my childhood that I'm shy, which is not the case at all. (laughs) Like I said, that I don't like to be social, which is insane because that I love talking to people. That's kind of why I did the podcast because it's like, that's the perfect venue for me because I love talking to people and getting to other stories. Like I literally go to bars and sometimes I'm like, Oh shoot, I feel like I'm interviewing you right now. So (laughs) stop. (laughs) Uh, 
in that I have to do everything by myself, which is not necessarily true. I feel like growing up with school, you're just like, oh, you just study and like, and then you, you know, make your own grades. Yes, there are study groups, but at the end of the day, it's, it's about you and what you can do to help yourself learn. But that is not, life doesn't work that way. Nobody can do anything by themselves, which I'm slowly opening up to, even though I've been telling everybody that and kind of building communities around the idea that that's not the case. Um, what's true about me is that I love people. I will say that, yes, not everybody's amazing, but at the end of the day, we all want the same things. We all want to be loved. And so that's kind of the perspective I go to. And also, honestly, like if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to grow and doesn't want to become a better person to help not only yourself, but to help society alone and you're kind of selfish, then honestly, I'll give you a chance. But like, if you don't like show steps of growing, then we shouldn't be friends. And honestly, it sucks to be you because you, I get to run away from those kind of people, but they don't get to run away from themselves. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's like, it's a loss for you. You might give a few people headaches, but again, they can walk away. And I would say the thing about me is I'm very like explorative. Um, so not only do I do this podcast, but I work in finance full time. Well, I'm looking for jobs now, but I work in finance full time. And then also I am a reader. Um, I read a hundred books last year. Wow. And then on the side, I do two other things. I uh, chair a nonprofit young professionals group in the realm of international development. And I also do marketing for I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's a singer named Jojo. She had a hit, Get Out, way back when. Um, I help her team do that, as well as another R&B singer named Tamia. I used to do that like a lot in college. And when I was growing up until like 2000, maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, um, kind of just promoting other artists. I'm very like, when I see somebody who's super talented, I'm like, no, there's no way that you should not be showcased in one way or another. It's kind of the platform of the uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just I'm very like, I love to explore new things. I love people and I'm very aggressive and I love to talk to people despite the fact that I pretend that I'm (laughs) antisocial and quiet and shy. So you're like a renaissance man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> nice so that's uh, thank you for that that provides some more clarity into into who you are and, and what your inspirations are taking all of that into account and everything we've discussed so far what are some of the highlights for you in being a podcaster and having your own business in this sort of realm uh, this gig economy realm not necessarily what have been your best guests or what your best learnings from interviewing people but in being sort of entrepreneurial so this podcast process has forced me to realize what kind of person I am. And it's kind of honed my skills in terms of having conversations with people. I will say what I've learned the most from doing this podcast is that even though I'm having these conversations with people, like a lot of people are worried about their image, which I know that was a thing. I kind of don't get it, but a lot of people kind of are afraid of their image. So I have the segment where I ask people five questions as quickly as possible to try to get them like loosen up a little bit. (laughs) And that's also why I start the podcast with what makes you smile because I want them to be in their happy place. And it's also taught me that you need to be super organized uh, and that you can't do things off the cusp. And then also with with any business that things are going to go wrong and that you kind of have to learn to adjust your expectations and not be like super bummed or like blow somebody off just because they, you know, had to reschedule an interview or something. Right. That's awesome. 
So what were some of the first steps that you took to actually start your podcast? Like if somebody's listening now and they're thinking to themselves, I want to start a podcast and I don't have a husband that has one that I can replicate. What were some of the first steps that you implemented to start yours? The first step for me was to figure out what the podcast was going to be about, as well as who is going to be the target audience. So initially the podcast was supposed to be about just people of color in the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was too limiting because that's not, it's not a reality of what the LGBTQ community is. So I wanted everybody to be in it with maybe, maybe if I'm being a little bit biased and honest, like maybe with a tint of like focusing on people of color in the LGBTQ community, but not like alienating anybody, right? That's my ultimate goal. I would say that. And then I also kind of, kind of create like a, an introduction into what your who you are, and then what your goal is in the podcast, kind of like to describe it to people so they know what they're getting themselves into. And then, of course, purchasing all of the products, doing research on what are the best podcast hosts, as well as how to get it on Spotify and iHeartRadio, which is a little bit difficult. Of course, reaching out. To, and then the final step was probably reaching out to people and being like, hey, I'm starting a podcast. This is, and then because you did all the research, you have a vision. And then you just kind of go from there. And learn and grow from every interview. I'm glad you added the learn and grow part because I just would like to ask you the question of, do you think that reaching out to people, especially early on when you only had a couple of episodes or maybe didn't have any episodes and your podcast was brand new, do you feel like that the that process has maybe built a level of confidence in you to feel comfortable asking people for something, especially individuals that may buy worldly standards be above you? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, okay, so basically I'm the kind of person who's not really afraid to ask or tell people things. So I didn't have that issue. So when I first started, the entire first season was recorded. Like it was just recorded. Like the, I even have currently the entire second season recorded and maybe like half, if not more than that, for the third season. Wow. And people did not hear a single episode <laughs> when I first reached out. So the first like 12 people, they never heard a single episode. They had no idea who I am. But the thing is, at the end of the day, if you have a strong mission mm -hmm. and you kind of present it in a way where you're trying to help people, people respond to that. Um, so they're just willing to you know, take time out of their day to speak to you. Um, it's really just about presenting something that they relate to in a way that kind of speaks to them. And honestly, I was kind of taking advantage of the fact that people like talking about themselves, right? Like we live in a social media world where people are always posting pictures of themselves. So why not, you know, take it to the next level and tell their story? Because <laughs> pictures can be, what are they? they pictures have filters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I wish my mouth had a filter. <laughs> Sometimes I do too, but then I'm like, you know what? If they listen to my advice... Then they can grow and, you know, vice versa. So Exactly. So you touched on this in a, a little bit of your response, but you said you had to make initial investment into purchasing some of the equipment and getting on some of the platforms. Kind of going, going back to that, what would you say your initial investment, uh, if you can remember, um, or at least ballpark figure, uh, what did that cost you and what did you, what did you have to buy initially to get started? You know, it, initially it wasn't that much. So typically it'll be like less than $100. I bought a mic. 
I bought the service. I bought some Skype credits, but it's only like $7 for Skype. So it's not that big of a deal um, to call people on their cell phones instead of just on a computer. I also bought SoundCloud like premium because I needed to be able to show all of my episodes instead of just like the first three or four mm-hmm. with the free version. I also bought Photoshop. So the thing is I bought a new computer for this kind of because my old computer is old and I bought Photoshop for about $70 a month, but that's kind of like a personal thing. So I would say maybe like a hundred dollars. And then if you add the Photoshop, $170. Gotcha. Okay. okay. And the reason I wanted to ask that is because, you know, if we're trying to inspire more queer people to, to start their own podcast. And I think a lot of people think that it's cost prohibitive to get into it. And for some people, a hundred to $200 might be cost prohibitive, but at least that gives you sort of an, an idea of what you need to save for and, and maybe come up with a strategy to save that money so you can start your podcast. But that said, I would caution to not try to, to sacrifice the good for the great. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if David and I actually started with a microphone that we wanted a contest somewhere and whatever janky computer we had at the time. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's actually the thing. You can, I just got this mic for like $30, the one I'm using right now. And really that's all I needed. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is the mic. And I use Audacity to edit my episodes, which is free. Mm-hmm. I use this mp3 skype recorder which is also free and then i use youtube for how to learn how to edit episodes nice so really all all you really need is well you don't really even need a computer you could do it on your phone right like it's just it's really it's really what you're willing to put up with it could be free you could just do it on your phone like i said do it on your phone and pay for a service. Yeah, you really could. And you know, the idea is to just get started. And then as your podcast grows, you can start to scale up. And then as you have money available with however you acquire that money, um, you can invest that back into your business and make it you know, slowly get better and better. And I think what's interesting, it's kind of painful. At the same time, it's kind of interesting for us to go back and listen to some of our initial episodes. Painful. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that sounds I think so bad. episode four is really, really, really bad. <laughs> and it's what's scary is... Um, because this content's out there in perpetuity, people are actually listening to those episodes. (laughs) And what's great is that they keep coming back. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why I wanted to ask you. I think the thing about that is a lot of people, when they want to launch a podcast, they're like, it has to be amazing. It has to be on how I built this level. It's like, but how I built this is literally run by NPR and they literally have a studio. Right. (laughs) And they hired people and NPR has been around since like, I don't know, 1910. Like, <laughs> it's not going to be as great at the beginning. Just start it. You get more confidence. You get bigger audience. And then things grow in ways that you could never expect right. when you do anything in this world. 100%. Yeah. I, I would venture to say if you were to go out and listen to the first episode of the vast majority of podcasts that aren't on NPR or iHeartRadio or some of the, the, the larger brands, Let's put it this way. If you can find podcasts that don't have sponsors, go back and listen to the very first episode because it's <laughs> probably going to be little like our fourth episode. <laughs> Pretty crappy sound. <laughs> now, you know, our editors are going to include a link to the fourth episode. Yeah, they notes. are. Oh, well. <laughs> so providing some more context around um, what your life looks like today, what is your publishing schedule how much time do you invest in your podcast each week or month oh my god uh i'm because i'm looking for jobs it's a little bit intense right now but i will say i would probably say like an hour and a half per episode maybe maybe two hours does that include recording time 
Oh, no. If you include recording times, it's probably like three hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just because um, I spend... I don't spend that much time editing. I just kind of edit all the static because I want it to sound like a conversation right. instead of like, oh, let me pick out all the best parts. No, like I want all of it. I want the raw interview with the person. Um, and then I spend, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then I spend time kind of scouring the social media for pictures. And then if they're a singer, I try to, I'm trying this new thing where I kind of just let their talent speak for itself. So it's like post audio of them like performing or a music video or something yeah and i just really just spend time i create all of the visuals for my thing so it's a little bit like i spend time on photoshop trying to figure it out and then you know changing it here and there but every three hours yeah so david won't let me publish the videos of me singing how do i get those files to you (laughs) (laughs) can i pay you to not post them So it sounds like you're saying that you you invest about maybe three or so hours per episode. At most three hours. At least, like, if I'm, like, really lazy, maybe, like, an hour and a half. Got you. And how do you find time to do that in addition to your regular schedule? Obviously, it sounds like you have a full-time job and you have a relationship. And how do you incorporate that into your regular schedule? Um, I'm kind of an insane person and I wake up every day at 4.30 in the morning. I work out for an hour and then eat and shower. So it's about an hour and a half. So I spend like maybe an hour, an hour and a half before I go to work to, um, work on my podcast stuff. I'm trying to figure out a way to like focus more on social media now that I have everything else that down. And then after work, I kind of spend a little bit of time. I do schedule time off because I'm not trying to spend all my time working or having fun like I used like to call my podcast and my <laughs> other projects and actually my job too. Yeah, I love finance. So I kind of just schedule time at least at least an hour and a half every day for all my projects. And then at most like three hours a day. I'm so glad you said that because one, it is insane. But two, this is exactly what David and I were doing when we first started. We would wake up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning before we would go to our day jobs. We would invest a couple hours uh, into our business. In addition to working out, we'd go to work you know, eight to 10 hours a day. And more often than not, not always, but more often than not, we'd come home and we'd invest another hour and a half to, to three hours on our business. This is in addition to working on weekends and on holidays. So I, I think um, you know, very often people will, will be like, oh my gosh, look at all that you guys have. You're so lucky. And back to David's point, it's not necessarily luck. It's a lot of hard work and effort to get to where we got, you know, proving that yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, um, because I, so I told you about how I did marketing. Um, I got to meet uh, singer Jojo. I've been invited to Beyonce's perfume launch. I mean, my friend went, but, and I've been able to kind of build relationships with some celebrities and people are like, Oh my God, you're so lucky. And I'm like, I was literally in college. Okay. I'm kind of an intense person on paper and I was in college. And <laughs> so I graduated college in two and a half years. And I went to wow. UC Berkeley and I was taking maybe seven to eight classes a semester. Wow. I was working on the marketing thing for like 12 artists with a staff of maybe like two or three. And then also I was, I didn't remember this part. I Somebody reminded me, but I was part of like three or four green organizations also at Berkeley. So it's like 
I believe in luck. However, you have to put yourself out there and you have to do the work. It doesn't have to be insane, right? You could just do it little by little, but you have to be consistent. With it. And I feel like if you're consistent with things, you put yourself out there, things are going to happen. And that's not really luck. It's just because you put yourself out there and you put yourself in a position to succeed. Yeah. It, you know, th- what, what we're just talking about here reminds me of another motivational speaker, Eric. Thomas? Yeah, I think it's Eric. Yeah, I think it's Eric Thomas. In one of his talks, he says, some of you want to sleep more than you want your dream. Some of you want to eat more than you want your dream. Some of you want to party more than you want your dream. Some of you want everything else more than you want your dream because you're not willing to cut back a little bit on sleep or maybe go out less with your friends or maybe have less clothing than what you would optimally want to have. Don't have the designer clothes or whatever the case may take one less vacation or take less vacations or whatever the case may be. You're not willing to make any sacrifices, but at the same time, you want all of the results of the people who have done all of the sacrificing. And, and, and in some cases, it's not necessary. It doesn't necessarily have to feel like a sacrifice because you're passionate about it. But to other people, it looks like a sacrifice because they don't want to give those things up. I think people care. This is my biggest problem with people, and I kind of don't understand. I think people care about what other people think a little bit too much. So they kind of want to, oh, well, they want to continue going out to, you know, be seen or be still a part of the crew. But the thing is, if you put in the work to do something you really want to do, you can show up to some of them. That's totally fine. And your friends will support you and not, yep. and not forget you. You know what I mean? I feel like also, when it comes to people having dreams, sometimes I'm going to be honest, I don't think they're actually dreams. They just want success. They just want fame. They just want money. There's no like internal connection to the dream. For me, like my biggest thing with people is I want people to have a mission statement. Um, I once told that to somebody and I was like, no, I'm being too serious. But when I talk to people like just at bars and kind of ask them what they want to do, they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, it's because we don't, as a society, promote exploring different options. We kind of just, well, now with Instagram, it's just about, you know, showing your face and your body. <laughs> and that's how you become things. But it's like, at the end of the day, if you really want to have a dream and go for it, it has to connect to you. It right. can't just be, oh, I want what they have. It has to be, what do I want based on the exploration that I've done? And once you find that, like you will be surprised at how much work you will put into it. Like I loved music and I was putting in so many hours. It was insane. And I was like, Oh my God, how did I do it all? Because I loved it. And I thought the artists were freaking amazing. So it wasn't work. So this kind of brings me to the question about you and uncensored visionary. What is your dream with this? What is your goal? What do you hope happens with all this? I'm too ambitious. (laughs) So, No, no, no. You're not too ambitious. You have a dream. Let's hear it. (laughs) Ultimately, I would, my goal is to, so as soon as I get a job, I'm going to incorporate this and turn into a business. I want to help LGBT people kind of explore the different realms of what it's like to be in business, whether it's marketing or operations, you know, like the typical stuff. But I also want to help promote the creatives and help them kind of help them build brands ultimately. Um, so I'll be telling the stories and 
you know, be making money and be hiring people who are from the LGBT community. And hopefully the goal is to kind of train them and raise them up so that they can go and create their own thing or they can go to a company and like make a killing and completely change the landscape of like corporate America. I think I also want to help people find jobs, kind of like have like a nonprofit spinoff that helps people find jobs because I feel like for me personally, when I lived in Sacramento, because I used to live in Sacramento before I moved to San Francisco, I was like, there are no queer people in like that I know of, you know, that are out in like, you know, upper management or really anywhere. I mean, they're there, but they're not as visible. Mm -hmm. But when I moved to San Francisco and I got a job with a law firm, my boss was like, he was queer and I was like, oh, okay. And now he's like the senior manager within, it's been what, a year since I left? And now he's like the senior manager of like a, a law firm in finance. And I'm like, wow, okay, it's possible. We just need more stories out there. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Well, I see a lot of synergies between your business and our business, to mm-hmm. use a term from the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and all those people. Al Gore were using that word every other day. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, where can our listeners learn more and follow everything that's Thomas Tucker and Uncensored Visionary? So, you can follow the podcast on uncensoredvisionary.com. The Instagram handle, I believe, is, I'm so bad at this, is UVLGBT on Twitter. And then on Instagram, it is at Uncensored Visionary. So me personally, I'm not going to reveal my social medias just yet. I am going to record an episode for season three of my podcast. And it's going to be hopefully a video of me being integrated and kind of introduced as the real version of me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because Thomas Tucker is just like a stage name, which I will discuss why I use the word, the um, name Thomas Tucker in there. Uh, so. Intrigue. Some mystery and intrigue. <laughs> it's going to be a reveal party. I can't wait. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, thank you so much for, for coming on our show. I think your story is emblematic of what we'd like to see more in our community do. And I think uh, you're lifting people up and inspiring them in so many ways uh, by sharing other people's stories and, and their struggles and success. So Thank you very much for, for what you're doing and for, for sharing your audience and platform with us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas, a.k.a. Uncensored Visionary. We appreciate hearing the passion in your voice and are inspired by the work you are doing to help the often unheard or quieter voices in our community. As many of you know, we love to tell stories of those in the queer community that are achieving levels of success that they themselves have defined. Clearly, Thomas, via the Uncensored Visionary podcast, is doing the same. When you get a chance, subscribe to his show and share it with your family and friends in the queer community. John and I believe in a strong queer community and believe that being financially strong is a key component to that strength. If you agree, please share this podcast with others and help us spread the message of financial empowerment in the LGBT community. Have a great week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.